probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome to the Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from HarperWHarris.com, and joining me again today is... Uh, this is Josh Horowitz from 5 Minutes of Trouble and 5 Minutes of Bonsai. And this is Brett Stillo, also from 5 Minutes of Trouble, 5 Minutes of Bonsai, and 12 Chimes, It's Midnight. Ah, yes, 12 Chimes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming back. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Having fun. Having fun. Yeah, so let's get into it. This is such a creepy part of the movie, so I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Um, we're talking about minute 67 of The Thing, which begins with uh, Fuchs leaning down to investigate something he saw in the snow. Uh, not quite sure what it is, but uh, and then a minute later it ends with uh, Mac walking out of the rec room preparing to go look for Fuchs. So obviously it didn't mm. go well for Fuchs in the interim. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I think the, the beginning of this minute is one of the most interesting parts in this movie uh, in just that. Uh, so obviously Fuchs leans down and finds uh, McCready's underwear or, uh, or Long John's, and, uh, which immediately throws everything into question that we've been seeing. Um, I think it's a pretty fairly unique thing in, uh, in, in this movie that it you know, throws this intense suspicion on your main character at a crucial part of the movie when we don't know who to trust. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's a it's a terrifying kind of idea and something that really make I think sets this movie apart. Now, Harper, do you know if it was done also in the novel and and the remake? Uh, this this sort of um, you know twist in the tale. I know in the in the prequel they definitely do not um, cast any kind of suspicion on the main character uh, from from my recollection of it anyways um, she's always pretty uh pretty on the up and up but um, I'm not sure about in the the and who goes there I don't think McCready is ever under suspicion really although mm-hmm. um, everybody's pretty uh, pretty suspicious in that but it's in that it's mostly Blair Gary and um, copper that are the main ones that are they're kind of accusing all the time Hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't, I think this is something that's pretty unique to this version of this story. Yeah. In this five minutes, you know, I think one thing that sets this movie apart is you could argue about how much of a horror movie it really is. I mean, in in these, in this five minute block, it's a suspense thriller. Mm -hmm. You don't see any monster. You see, uh, clues and you see a lot of shadowing and foreshadowing. And, uh, I mean, the, uh, and it's funny, I didn't know those were long johns. I assume that was like one of McCready's flight suits. But yeah, that, that actually probably would make more sense. <laughs> no, whatever. It's just like, you know, just like, oh, is that a, are those long, you know, anyway, it has McCready on it. Mm-hmm. It can, it could be a duffel bag, but, uh, you know, that's the move of a clever killer, mm-hmm. you know, I, I creating a red herring. Um, it kind of makes me wonder because uh, you know, I, 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 I've just always uh, watching this movie. I just always assumed, okay, 
they're they're throwing clues at McCready, but he's not a, he's not a monster. They're just doing that to again red herring. So it makes me wonder, you know, is you know how sentient is this creature? You know, in, in a monster movie, we always just assume he's a monster. Uh, he he roars around, he gobbles up people, but you know, this is this is a clever, cunning adversary. Um, <laughs> we don't know this, but he's he's building a flying saucer in the basement. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, you don't think about that in a monster movie that, you know, he's going to oh, let me let me put McCready's uh, flight suit here. That'll that'll buy me some time. They'll and they'll fight amongst each other. Uh, that's that's much more in a like a, yeah, a straight standard suspense. You know, that's Agatha Christie stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting, uh, you know, because the monster seems to be taking over the humans. You know, they, they take over. You know, any human cunning and intelligence mixed with the aliens. So, you know, you got to maybe even have a double. Yeah, it's it's I mean, it's one of the things to me that makes this movie so unique and that it's a movie where the monsters are, you know, the the creature effects and things are, are the main thing that people tend to remember and bring up about the movie. But just the paranoia and suspense and the, 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 the scariest thing in this movie is what happens between the people when they start to suspect each other much more than the actual monsters are. Um, hmm. So, you know, putting those two things together makes this such a classic and such a, such a frightening movie. But um, yeah, it's, it is interesting to think about it from the thing's perspective. And I've, I've talked a lot about this at ongoing conversations with uh, Alan Sanders, who was on the show uh, a couple of weeks back. And, um, about how you know, in general, he thinks that the uh, the creature is not to, uh, not particularly intelligent. That it's really just kind of going for, it's trying to attach itself to whatever it thinks is going to be going to get it away from everybody else uh, and going to spread it. You know, more like a virus than a sentient creature. But um, these minutes definitely tend to make it seem like it has a little bit more going on. Um, you know, and it, and I think you know, leaving those out. Obviously, we know. I th- well, I think we know that McCready is not uh, assimilated based on, you know, his actions through the rest of the movie. But um, so that, you know, the only real explanation is that somebody's doing this to throw suspicion on him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we get that shadow kind of passing by and it seems like it's leading Fuchs to discover this on purpose, like it really wants him to find this so that he, you know, loses trust in in who's kind of leading the group. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, to kind of throw the group into chaos and maybe give it another chance to assimilate some other people. So this part of the movie certainly makes it seem like the uh, the thing is more intelligent than maybe we've seen it be earlier. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love this cut here. We've, we've got the, that kind of looming, creepy synth sound. And then uh, we cut immediately from the McCready torn, uh, torn clothes to a close-up of McCready, uh, which mm. is kind of jarring and, and you know, leads you to uh, make that connection if you hadn't already um, <laughs> and to kind of, you know, wonder what's going on. And, and yeah, so we get a time jump here now that we realize that Fuchs is gone and they're, they're having to figure out what's going on. You know, it'd been a long time since I'd seen this movie. So when I first saw these minutes and then got to this part with, with McCready and you know, I mean, I, First thing I thought of, I was like, oh my goodness, it's Jack Burton with an even more epic mullet mixed with his full <laughs> beard and mustache. <laughs> <laughs> He's been growing it out for the winter. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's a little sad to admit this, but the 20 some odd episodes I did with you, Josh, have permanently marred my view of Kurt Russell. <laughs> <laughs> He's always, he has always been a favorite actor of mine, even when I was a little kid and he was 
doing all those Disney movies. I always was drawn to his characters and his performances. But now, uh, whenever I see Kurt Russell, I just think of, well, like, for example, in this scene, I can't help but think of Jack Burton watching this movie in a theater, <laughs> identifying with him with creating, like, yeah, that's what I do. Tell him, RW. <laughs> you know? um, and then, of course, Jack trying to be that guy. I mean, again, let's 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 joke around with this. Picture Jack in this room. <laughs> McCready's gone. Suddenly, it's Jack, and uh, you know he did. What's going on here? I don't get this. You know, <laughs> well, somebody tell me what the heck's going on. <laughs> He'd definitely be pretty confused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's also a, a kind of a testimony to Kurt Russell's an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, he. In all these Carpenter movies, in a sense, he's playing the same guy, a very take charge, or in the case of Big Trouble, a guy who thinks he's in charge mm-hmm. kind of guys. Uh, there there are subtle but solid differences between McCready and Snake Plissken and mm-hmm. Jack Burton where you say – I mean you could just be kind of cynical and say, oh, he's just always playing that guy. But no, there's – you know – this this McCready is a much more down to earth, angry, frustrated, and scared guy, um, and you see it in this scene. I mean, yeah. when he when he blurts it out, then this is he is truly angry and freaked out. Yeah, yeah it seems like the difference here is that uh, you know Kurt Russell is acting with a sort of quiet intensity versus the over the top bravado that we see in Jack Burton. I, I think he does a really good job in this one. Good acting oh, yeah. by Kurt Russell. Yeah, this yeah. is certainly one of my favorite performances of his. Where, yeah, I think uh, you, you could easily make the comparison between him and, and Snake, but to me, Snake is much more of a, a cartoon character than uh, than McCready is here. McCready's got a lot more depth, and that you can definitely tell that on top of his uh, or underneath rather his um, kind of you know brave exterior, and that he's kind of taking charge of the group and trying to get things done no matter the cost. You can definitely tell he's very very scared. And, and trying to kind of hide that a little bit from the group and, you hmm. know, muster enough, uh, you know, strength to kind of figure out what to do while everybody else around him is kind of losing their minds. Yeah. Yeah, very good point. Yeah, I love Snake Plissken. But as you said, he's he's a stylized character. Mm-hmm. He's always reminded me of a spaghetti Western character. Sure. <laughs> where he's an exaggeration. He's a, in, a, in a sense a superhero. But uh, and I'm also, you know, I'm thinking back to the beginning of this movie when, you know, before – it all hits the fan and, and McCready is a little more like a snake or a Burton. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, when he, when he flies the dock to, to the Norwegians, uh, compound and, you know, wasn't he, isn't he saying, Hey, Swedes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Which that's is, a very that's, Jack Burton thing to do. <laughs> that's a very Jack Burton, you know, Hey, Hey. So, um, but, you know, a fantastic collaboration between, you know, Carpenter and, and Russell, and even though I, th- I think they did four or five movies together. I, I wish they had done more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was uh, Big Trouble the the movie with Kurt Russell right after this one? Um, Let's see. Might have been. Might have been. Yeah, because before the Escape from New York was just before this, and then even mm-hmm. before that, they had done the Elvis TV movie together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, I think Escape from LA was the last one. I think they only did five. So yeah, it must have been. Uh, must have been Big Trouble was the next one after this, which is quite a yeah. change in character. <laughs> yeah. And then in, in between would have been, I, I believe, Christine and I think yes. Starman. 
Yeah. So there was a there were a few years, you know, because it's you, know, you you almost get this timeline where you know they were they hanging out for five or six years. <laughs> yeah, it kind <laughs> of feels roommates. like it. Yeah, but um, and it's a, just a fantastic collaboration, and it may be worth you know going into the you know as as you know John Carpenter is a huge fan of Howard Hawks. Mm-hmm. Yes. Doing the thing, of course, and you know Howard Hawks was a director who you know he had his his list of guys he liked to work with. He liked Cary Grant. They did a number of movies together. John Wayne. They did a number of movies together. Howard Hawks liked that collaborative um, thing with his lead actor, and so you know I think Carpenter's even said you know in Russell he found his John Wayne. It wasn't John Wayne. <laughs> but it was a guy you yeah hey you can be my john wayne and i can be howard hawks they probably didn't have that conversation but <laughs> uh, i'm like i'm gonna be howard hawks and you could be john wayne and I'm like okay <laughs> but uh yeah they definitely had a rapport yeah and I, I think that's probably i'm sure you guys have talked about this a lot on your show but um i think that's one of the things that makes big trouble in little china such a special movie in that uh you know it plays off uh you know, Kurt Russell as an actor, but also plays off all these previous characters that they had done together in movies like this and Escape from New York, uh, where he is like this, he's such a hardened, you know, take charge, do what you need to do. And, you know, kind of the like ultimate manly uh, uh, anti-hero in a lot of ways. And then, of course, in Big Trouble in Little China, we get a such a perfect kind of parody of that character with somebody who thinks they're like that and can't right. really, can't really live up to that. And o- only... Uh, only by accident makes the right choices and, and does the right thing in most cases. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's a really interesting point. And Josh, I don't think we we ever thought about that, but you know, because they had done all these serious movies together, mm-hmm. and Big Trouble in a sense is a yeah, it's it's a comedy that you know they could finally sort of just relax and hey, let's just you know we we've done monsters and we've done the apocalypse. Let's let's just do something fun. Yeah, and I think it comes across. They knew each other so well. Um, I think that's that's probably one reason why the comedy works so well. They'd had all these, you know, years of working together, so they probably understood each other's humor and timing so well because it just, you know, that's then that's the magic of Big Trouble. Yeah, definitely agree with you. <laughs> Let's see. I need flares, a parka, kerosene, dog food. Wow, who knew moving to an Antarctic base would be so expensive? And I haven't even started looking for roller skates and giant hats yet. It's a good thing I'm using Amazon so I can get the best price and get this stuff fast. And since I'm using thethingminute.com slash Amazon, a small portion of my purchase goes to help The Thing Minute to help support the podcast. Now, if I can just get some of the listeners to use thethingminute.com slash Amazon, I might just be able to afford that flamethrower. So, uh, so yeah, so we get a big scene here where um, where Mac is basically just trying to kind of hold the group together when they're they're really starting to fray on the edges at this point because... You know, it, the implication here now is that if Fuchs is missing, then they, they've they lost their chance at another test. So they potentially have no way of knowing who's who at this point. Um, so they're really starting to kind of lose it. And so um, we were talking off air a little bit about uh, the rec room itself and that it is yes. kind of an interesting character in the movie. Um, so yeah, we definitely get a good look at it and get some angles of the rec room that we haven't really seen before, particularly of the... Uh, the wall behind the couch with like the thousands of pinup pictures that are stuck to that wall there. <laughs> yeah. It's like the ultimate rec room. I mean, you got books, games, model kits, jukebox, whatever they have a pool table, uh, booze, comfy couches. And yeah, the, the pinup pictures. 
And uh, it's worth mentioning that we may have seen it earlier in the movie and you don't get quite as good of a look at it uh, until maybe a little later when they do the blood test in here. But uh, on the opposite wall of the uh, of the pinup pictures, we get a a PSA poster that is a warning about the warning of the dangers of VD. Uh, it says, uh, they aren't labeled chum. Uh. <laughs> nice. nice. I remember the chum part. Uh, yeah, this is, you know, classic, uh, you know, fifties PSA kind of language use there. But yeah. yeah, I always thought that was funny, uh, in, in opposition of the, the pictures, it's almost like they put those up to kind of battle that PSA or something. I don't know. <laughs> You know, one of the things that I like in the rec room is the fact that they have a pinball machine in the back called Heat Wave. Yep. Very appropriate for the Antarctic. <laughs> yeah, it's Heat Wave and Asteroid, both of which really play into the uh, the themes of this movie pretty well, oh, nice. I think. <laughs> hmm. Now, is that an actual pinball game? If we look that up on the, uh, I believe it's called the Pinball Database. Yes, it is. So we can play Heat Wave. So if you're a super fan of the thing, <laughs> you probably want a heat wave pinball machine in your living room. That's um, right. And I know there have been uh, Thing video games, but yeah, what, we should have a, a Thing pinball game. That would be awesome. You know, I think there might actually be one. I feel like I've seen mm. a picture of a Thing uh, pinball machine at one point or another. But I know that these definitely are real pinball machines, and so much so that I know, I don't remember which one, but one of them, they ended up, I think it was uh, Heat Wave, they ended up having to paint uh, black because it was, I think it was maybe yellow, and they thought it, it stood out uh, too much or didn't really match the, the color scheme of the rest of the rec room, the blues and the kind of grays and stuff. They, they wanted to kind of tone it down. <laughs> Feel like we should thank John J. Lloyd for that decision. Yes. <laughs> The man. That's a, yeah. Actually, the I'm, man. I'm, I'm looking right now on the uh, the internet pinball machine database. There is a pinball machine called Thing, but it's not based on, <laughs> not the movie. It looks like it's very carnival themed. Ah, interesting. From 1951, yeah. <laughs> so no interesting. thing. I swear I've seen a picture. Maybe somebody made their own or something. I don't know. <laughs> but well, Stern Pinball seems to be making a lot of sort of uh, new pinball machines based on old movies or properties. That would be an awesome one if they could ever do something like that. Yeah, there's definitely some opportunities for some really interesting stuff in a thing pinball game with assimilation and mm. you know stuff like that. You could do something fun for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had in my notes, I, I think it's, uh, it's worth mentioning that Palmer is the one who, uh, who kind of starts the argument in the rec room here that, uh, you know, he says, I, I ain't going with windows. He doesn't, he doesn't like give any kind of reason. He just doesn't trust him. Um, you know, that yeah. line, that line could be perfect for the next Mac computer commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yes, I agree. It is, I, I, you know, it's something that watching this movie a thousand times, I didn't realize until, pretty recently that this movie has characters named Mac and Windows. <laughs> <laughs> Weird how that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I, uh, I think this is something the internet needs to get on is making some kind of a parody, uh, parody Mac commercial featuring Palmer here. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. This is a, this is a, this is a, a character actor workout. Yes. This is uh you you know, you you gotta love the testosterone that's just you know exploding from everybody in this scene. They're just, I I am picturing in between takes they were going to the craft service table and eating like beef jerky and beer. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. 
<laughs> and lots of lots of punching each other in the shoulders and peeing. You know, this is in its own weird way. Uh, it's a guy movie, but I think it also shows the dark side of guy movies. Yes. You know, there's no, yeah, it's no for guy movie. Actually, there's, there's Uber not a guy single movie. woman in it. Nope. Yeah, the only yeah the only women are on the walls as <laughs> fantasies, and uh, I think Warnings it also shows, against VD. Yeah, <laughs> I, I you know you you kind of wonder you know I've I've never seen the prequel and I know there's a female protagonist and mm -hmm. maybe that's what they explore that but if you had you know you wonder if in this movie if they had one female scientist. Would she possibly, you know, be rational enough to say, "Okay, listen, <laughs> here's what we got to do." You know, there's a voice of reason amongst all these hotheads who are already ticked off, you know, spending months together. So, hmm. and yeah. uh, also the dynamic here um, reminds me of the, the, you know, the classic old movie Twelve Angry Men. Mm -hmm. You know, again, this is uh, this is just a straight up. Uh, bare knuckle drama scene. There's no monster. There's there's no whoosh across the screen of a, a screen of a shadowy figure. This is just this is guys yelling at each other, mm -hmm. um, quite convincingly. And you know Carpenter with his love of of old movies. You know I I gotta wonder if Twelve Angry Men was he was thinking that here. Mm. Uh, you know and and uh, Kurt Russell playing the Henry Fonda role on that. You know will you just all listen? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a very fair comparison. And yeah, you could you could definitely say that or and on the uh uh more Agatha Christie side as we were mentioning too, almost like Ten Little Indians too. <laughs> yeah, um, really. But uh yeah, certainly this is what you know, this part of the movie is where it gets really into the drama in, in between um we get a long stretch where there's no kind of monsters or transformations where really the it it turns into this you know, uber suspense movie where, you know, you mm -hmm. don't know at this point in the movie, you know, that there are, uh, there are people in the main cast who are not human beings and you don't know who they are. So it's just this incredibly tense, suspenseful section where, um, you know, we keep expecting there to be some kind of monster creature and that would almost release the tension at this point, um, to have something scary like that happen. And it, uh, it doesn't for quite mm -hmm. a while, which is, uh, you know, one of the things that makes this movie so scary, I think. And, and hard to hard to put down when uh, when you watch it. It's hard not to pay attention because there's so much uh, so much going on that you don't you don't see behind the scenes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know when when McCready blows up and he starts barking his orders. I had a note that you know now there's Jack Burton. We're just missing the line if we're not back by dawn. Call the president at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love that uh, as he, you know, he's really, really losing it at this point and just trying so hard to keep these guys together who they're, you know, it's almost, he's almost like the dad yelling at the back seat of the car in this scene, I think, um, where, you know, Palmer and Windows can't, uh, can't keep it together and can't uh, agree to go out and look with each other because they don't trust each other. And mm -hmm. he's, uh, you know, just getting so angry. And like uh, one of you guys said, it was how convincing it is. And it's great. I mean, just how angry he is and how frustrated and, uh, yeah, and I think there's a little fear under under that as well, for sure. That um, yeah. you know, he's just so having such a hard time keeping these guys from from killing each other, literally. Yeah. <laughs> Kurt Russell is just a master at the scene where he yells at guys. Uh, <laughs> you know, think about you know, you you could define his career. I want, if he ever does, if there's ever I don't know, a, you know, a special Oscar, you know, he had AFI tribute. You could, I would just love to see the montage of him yelling at people. <laughs> and it'd be, it would be a really good reel because he's he's good at yelling people. Think about a movie like Miracle mm. or Tombstone. Tombstone, right. Mm -hmm. Where he's just, you know, 
He's just uh, angry. <laughs> <laughs> He's an angry individual in a lot of cases. Or, or even yeah. uh, in Hateful Eight, where he went so far to accidentally break a priceless artifact because he was uh, so in character when he smashes that guitar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that... I read about the guitar. Was that impulsive? Was yep. that... Oh, or it was wow. either it was either that, or they were supposed to replace it with a fake one before they roll that, or I don't, I can't remember the exact story, but he was like mortified. Oh, no, <laughs> he found out. So he smashes it, and then he what? It's a what I've what have I done moment, right? <laughs> this is this is really interesting to me because I'm a, I'm a bit of a guitar nut, and you know, on some you know guitar site, I look at. Uh, this atrocity was reported, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, the the report I read was, stri- you know, purely from the you know pro guitar point of view about <laughs> these awful filmmakers and these horrible actors who, you know, desecrated a sacred you know instrument and shame <laughs> on them, and never heard the other side of it. Where yeah, you know, on it's you're on a set and you know in the heat of the moment. So yeah, and also I I think you know. None of us know Kurt Russell, but he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would intentionally smash a rare guitar. I doubt it. <laughs> Probably plays guitar himself, so I. Mm. Um, it's okay, Kurt. It was <laughs> nothing you could have done. If you're listening, we, we yeah. feel you. <laughs> We're totally. We understand. I understand now, man. It was just <laughs> could have happened to anybody. Mm. Could have been me, man. <laughs> So uh, speaking of uh, Kurt Russell yelling, I, I always like to bring up the, um, the, the newest Blu-ray of this movie has the TV version, TV edit of the movie, which is uh, totally blasphemous and, and uh, it's awful, but it is worth <laughs> watching for the hilarious um, censors of, uh, of everybody's languages. So uh, here we get um, Windows saying, fry you, Palmer. <laughs> uh, and, then, uh, and then Kurt Russell just saying, cut the bull. And that's it. No bull stuff. We got a bull stuff earlier in the movie. Uh, voodoo bull it. stuff. I um, love it. <laughs> but just cut the bull in this case. They just cut it right off. <laughs> that that just takes me right back to the six or the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, about yeah, you couldn't say uh, bleep me here if you need to, but uh, or edit me. You know, you know, you couldn't say bullshit. So I remember growing up and, you know, like a lot of cop shows or movies where some guy would say, oh, you know, that's a lot of bull. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just carefully working around it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you just I haven't I haven't heard that in a movie in quite some time. But that was just such a, you know, like sneaking up to the swear word and then stopping. Right, yeah. uh, I how, think you get the same thing with the whole the Blu-rays. Now they they go ahead and put on the uh, the TV edit. <laughs> they did on this one. I, I don't know exactly why, but it is incredibly enter- If you're a, a big fan of this movie, it's very entertaining to watch because it's uh, <laughs> it's bizarre. The stuff that they decide to cut out and rearrange, and the way they censor <laughs> things is all just total lunacy. It's it's so yeah. strange, which is sad too because that's uh, uh, on TV is really where this movie kind of. TV and rentals is where this movie really kind of gained its following. It was, you know, such a, did so poorly at the box office, mm-hmm. um, critically and, you know, financially. Uh, so yeah, it was probably a lot of people that was their first, their first, uh, interaction with this movie was this awful TV version of it where they really <laughs> ruin a lot of the, a lot of the best beats of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there, 
here's a shout out to our pals at the Indiana Jones Minute because this is making me remember a another wonderfully awkward TV edit from Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> where uh, you know Karen Allen uh, holds up the staff of Ra and says to uh, Harrison Ford, you know what she says in the movies is, you know, I'm your goddamn partner. And uh, now I can't remember exactly that what they. You oh know, no, I remember. He's, she says, uh, "I'm your new damn partner." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a yeah, pretty good is, one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. You know, there again, there could be a great reel of just yeah, the awkward. Um, you know, fry you, man. <laughs> Fry yeah. you. Um, I'm severe. I'm extremely excited to get up to the uh, the the ultimate moment in this movie when uh, when Kurt Russell says, "Yeah, fuck you too," and he destroys the the Blair monster. I'm dying to know, but I'm I'm watching it as I go to uh, to catch up <laughs> with that. So we'll we'll uh, we'll get to that later. But <laughs> it's probably going to be fry you too. Fry you or uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not sure exactly what the other options are, but I'm certain they could have come up with something better. Whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that'll probably uh, probably do us for for sixty seven. Anything else you guys wanted to uh, to mention? No, pretty good here. I, I think I think we've we've uh, fried sixty seven. Ah, <laughs> I, I would agree. Sixty seven. So uh, <laughs> no we more. We can move on to fry sixty eight. No more bull yeah. to talk about. So we'll uh, right. we'll wrap it there. <laughs> so it's a load of bull. <laughs> So that'll uh, that'll wrap up minute uh, sixty seven of the thing. But uh, listeners, you can always check us out on Facebook and on Twitter under the Thing Minute. So you can join in the conversation there. Give us your theories. Uh, share your favorite uh, TV censored moments with us. Uh, there are a lot of good ones out there for sure. Um, so yeah, just join in and don't forget to come back tomorrow for another episode of the Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Thing Minute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. (laughs) 